Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for joining me once again. Uh, it's a weird time in the world that we live in. Uh, still, half of the country's under quarantine. Half of the country's going back under quarantine. Uh, virus cases are spiking in the hundreds of thousands. It's a crazy time to be alive. I never thought I'd live to see the end times, but boy, and oh boy, it seems more and more likely that that's what I'm seeing here. But uh, we're doing our best to stay sane here and uh, just kind of moving forward with life as best as possible. Now, if you want to find the Fuel Your Fandom podcast, you can find us on our Anchor homepage, which is anchor.fm forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. You can find us also on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. Uh, we do have an Instagram uh, at fuel underscore your. If you want to go and see some of the stupid memes I post, I don't post a whole lot of anything there, but uh, I'm working on it. I'm slow to adapt. But uh, And then also another big news is we do have a Patreon that we have set up. Uh, patreon.com forward slash fuel your fandom if you want to become uh, a patron of the show uh, we would certainly appreciate anything you could donate uh, we have a couple of different tiers we have a five dollar tier ten dollar tier and a twenty dollar tier each of those tiers are going to give you access to um, early access to the episodes as soon as they're recorded and, and edited they'll be put up early uh, as opposed to uh, where they end up on the anchor page or, or at Seattle Wave Radio. You will also have uh, a personalized dedication at least once a month. Uh, with the higher end tiers, you will also have access to a, an Ask Me Anything kind of format uh, where we can talk about anything you want to talk about, anything uh, that you wanted to ask or had any questions about previous episodes or whatever you want to do. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, Jump in and uh, and and if you feel the need, donate. We would definitely appreciate any uh, assistance that you could provide. So, other than that, today I am joined with uh, my good friend Jim again. Jim, of course, was on uh, a few episodes ago. Jim Schweitzer, how are you doing today? None too bad at all. Saying, how about yourself? You know, I, I'd, I'd complain, but there more and more there's less people likely <laughs> to listen. So. <laughs> Just getting by, getting by. Yeah, I hear that loud and clear. We don't really have much of a, a format for today's episode. It's more of uh, just kind of discussing where the world is, where we are in the world, where the podcast sits, where 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 I sit, where you sit, and just kind of clearing the air a little bit. So. Yeah, the air could definitely stand some clearing for sure. So what have you been up to since we talked last? Well, gosh, uh, climbing the walls mostly. I mean, the last time that we had a chance to really sit down and chew the fat, so to speak, was sort of in the, the pre-COVID era. And, you know, myself being a fan of much in the way of post-apocalyptic entertainment, you know, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the Fallout series. I just finished The Last of Us 2. It seems a little strange to think that we might be teetering on the precipice of... Um, sort of charging headlong into our own little dystopia here, but, you know, yeah. that stuff used to be escapist entertainment, and now I'm kind of looking up at it for, uh, for tips. It's, uh, it's the kind of saving, thing that you got to start, start thinking about. Start saving your bottle caps. Yeah, and start scrounging for scrap. I mean, that's how it looks. You know, it's, 
to, to the outside observer, you know, things seem to be functional. The highways aren't collapsing for the most part. Electricity is still being delivered to our homes. Most of us can get to the grocery store, but you know, that's also a um, life in a real privileged bubble for a lot of people because I just talked to a friend of mine yesterday in Denver and it's an old friend of ours actually, who I won't name because I don't have permission to speak on her behalf, but um, she is doing some volunteering with um, Feeding Denver's Hungry, nice. uh, which is a homeless um, aid organization that helps to distribute food. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, she also um, has been, you know, going to, to the hospital to, to do some volunteer work there and to kind of get some health care for herself. And also, um, you know, she participated in some of the demonstrations um, for uh, the young boy, Elijah, who was, who was killed by the police last year, uh, the violin player, the yeah. autistic young man. And so, you know, Colorado, between the, the, the civil unrest we're all experiencing, plus the, the viral pandemic that uh, nobody seems to be able to escape, is, is having its own sort of, you know, hellscape to deal with. And so while things are on a reasonably even keel now, and I definitely check my privilege on that every day, I, I, I understand where I am, things are pretty normalized and don't seem to be blowing up. But I do watch the news every day. I do read the news every day. And it is, of course, impossible to, um, to really escape the feeling, like you said, we're sort of really approaching this, this, this absolute dystopia on a lot of levels. And, and I, I find it kind of fascinating, given the fact that so much of, like you're talking about, media and video games and this, that, and the other thing are all uh, predicated on this dystopian yeah. future that we're barreling headlong into. Um, <laughs> What's entertainment going to look like after this? I mean, is this going to have some kind of long-term impact on, on the way we tell stories in film, the way we tell stories on television, uh, comic books? I mean, video I games. Guess it might because if you remember, a lot of movies prior to 9/11 seemed to feature large-scale urban destruction in an entertainment kind of comp- uh, context. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the day after tomorrow or Independence Day, we saw cities blowing up and you know, uh, Godzilla mowing down buildings, but we see much, much less of that in uh, what we've come to think of as a post 9-11 world. So I think there'll be a new normal that emerges from this also. Just like, I mean, a lot of my friends, a lot of people are talking about when things blow over and when things get back to normal, but I think we're going to see a new normal emerge like we did after 9-11. I mean, you know, 20 years later, we still take our shoes off at the airport. I don't know how much of this is going to still be uh, an issue once we get a vaccine once things clear up to the point that everybody that has the disease is going to get it. Cause I, I don't think the herd immunity thing at this point seems like a pipe dream, according to every immunologist and virologist whose opinions are respectable, but it does seem to be that, that with the infection rates, the way they are, some people just get a more severe case than others. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe anybody that's going to get exposed to this virus, that's going to get the case that puts you on a ventilator and possibly kills you. We might reach peak that, but um, until there's a, uh, a vaccine, I'm, I'm just keeping my biweekly trips to the grocery store. I'm counting that as going out. Yeah, and unfortunately, again, like I told everyone, I, I have to go out into it. I work in grocery. I work in mm-hmm. – right now I'm doing uh, gas station resets. So I'm in gas stations, which is another hotbed of <coughs> – Oh, know. yeah, it's one of those places human beings can't avoid if they're just trying to even go, out, go about the uh, – even the basic – um, you know, can't avoid tasks they have to accomplish in their daily lives. Yeah, you got to have food and you got to have gas. So. so in terms of entertainment, I think you're right. I think we're going to see a real different, like I, I just watched Contagion uh, for the first time a couple of weeks ago, 
which is yeah. so eerily I'm that up. Yeah. <laughs> it's creepy. It's basically a pre-documentary. Um, down to the terminology. <laughs> you know, in 2011, that was the first time that the public heard the term social distancing. And, you know, you know we have this, this piece of entertainment that so eerily mirrors what's going on now from, you know, uh, panic to people coughing at each other to people dying suddenly to relief efforts handing out food. Um, so, you know, in terms of the entertainment, which is obviously the, the angle of what it is that we talk about here. Um, I think we are, like you said, we're going to see a real shift in the way that we perceive certain things. I think we're going to see a trend away towards post away from post-apocalyptic entertainment, like the same way we did, you know, from urban destruction after nine 11. I think we'll see that happen, but it's obviously too early to tell. We got to, you know, restart the entertainment industry first. And that's a couple <laughs> of months, if not a year or two away at this point, I think. Yeah, and and I think it's going to be real telling. I mean, because everyone's got their own take on mm-hmm. what we're going through, and you know, future filmmakers and 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 video game makers and and storytellers are they're all going to have their own version of events and how it affected them, and and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see just how the story gets told. Yep. You know what I mean? Because I've never personally, I mean, I've lived through 9-11. I've lived through, you know, uh, Challenger exploding, things like that. Real, Mm -hmm. uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. Those landmark things where people ask you, you always remember where you were when this happened. But the thing is, this is something so vastly different. I mean, uh, aside from like polio or Mm -hmm. things of that nature. Yeah, so we haven't seen anything like this since 1918. You know, and it's, it's funny. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the the thing about people not wearing masks in public and there being sort of this mask shaming thing going on and and people who lose their shit in public and and sort of get put on the internet from people filming them at Costco screaming and you know asserting their privilege to not wear a mask. You know, the the idea of all of us on the right side of history sitting over here thinking to ourselves, what is wrong with these people? Why are they so selfish? Why can't they just wear a mask? It's a tiny piece of fabric that covers your face that protects you and other people. But I think back to, we've known about AIDS since the early 80s. We've known about HIV since then. And we could have cut the transmission of that by just wearing condoms, but people didn't do that either. So the selfishness that pervades the human condition, it surprises people, but it really shouldn't because you know, people are, are only going to care about other people to the extent of their own comfort level if they belong to that sort of demographic that, that trends towards selfishness anyway, which, you know, goes by several names, but, you know, most of them are uh, not polite to discuss in mixed company or open air. <laughs> well, and, 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 and to a degree, and I, I don't mean to get off on a tangent with all this or anything. Oh, please do. Uh, you know how I feel about wearing the mask. I, I work in the grocery yeah. industry. I have yeah. to wear the mask. But more to the point, I really wish everyone would because yeah. uh, we're seeing such massive spikes in reinfection and we're seeing such massive spikes in infection. Once they open places up, uh, people are getting and going around other people and spreading this disease. But the thing is, I kind of understand where they're coming from, the anti-maskers. I get it. You know, you don't want to be told by the government what you can do and what you can't do because it's a real slippery slope after that point. I understand that. They don't wear seatbelts either. Right. And if it was just something that affected their personal bubble, yeah. I wouldn't give a shit. I'd say do what no. you want to do. But the fact of the matter is, is you breathing your particulate air around me 
could get me infected, could get my family infected, could get everyone I know infected. You and I come from places where the winters get cold. We understand what the big plume of breath billowing out of your face <laughs> looks like in the cold. Those are breath droplets. They're visible in the wintertime. If you live someplace where it's cold and you've seen that huge plume of condensation blow out of your mouth when it's cold outside and it's, it's a nice, you know, uh, it always pulls me out when I watch movies that are supposedly set in cold climates and they don't have that visible breath because I've always grown up in cold areas. That's how far your breath can travel. So, you know, you put on that mask and it's just not going anywhere. Oh, and I love watching the, uh, the, the footage of people sneezing and seeing yeah. the, the particulates spread after a sneeze. And it's just, it's alarming. But your point really is very is. well taken. I have a friend who was born in Germany, uh, now lives here and is a, uh, uh, college professor, a PhD college professor in the area of public health. So I tend to turn to her quite a bit okay. um, when it comes to matters like this. You know, if she says something, I listen. And she was also born in Germany. So she's got a little bit of perspective as far as how certain countries that aren't in America deal with this sort of thing. And I mean, you've got countries like Japan and Germany who, if people are sick, they just put a mask on and go out in public and don't worry about it. And I think because America has this sort of like go-go, rah-rah, USA, we're number one, you know, eagle superiority complex, and we don't really understand things like selflessness and austerity the way other countries do who've been through, you know, famine and genocide and war and these other things that really haven't reached our shores in a meaningful way. Um, other countries have managed to flatten the curve and deal with this better because they have a communal sense of, of decency and of community health that we just don't have here. I mean, people in... I saw a friend on Facebook earlier post that um, retail mask screaming, screaming matches is my least favorite current film genre um, <laughs> because, you know, Americans just have this attitude. So my German friend described it as Western exceptionalism on the cellular level, which I thought was particularly astute um, in terms of just describing how Americans deal with doing just stay away from people six feet, wash your hands and wear a mask. And we could have the same numbers that Sweden does or that Germany does or that, you know, the whatever country that you want to look at that has managed to, to, to flatten, even Italy and Spain that were in the early days of the virus having a really hard time. We're just they're eating our lunch right now in terms of the infection numbers because we don't have the common decency to give a shit about our fellow human beings in this country. Yeah, and it is kind of alarming to, to sit and back and, and understand that such a small act yeah. could curb everything and, and, and people are, are screaming from the top of the lungs about personal freedom and personal choice and, you know, my body, my choice, which I find really ironic. I mean, COVID spreads because we won't wear a mask and, and HIV spread because we wouldn't wear condoms. It's, it's really, it all boils down to the same. It's a tiny thing you can wear that doesn't affect your life in any meaningful way that protects you and other people and you won't do it because you're a selfish American bastard. That's really the bottom line there. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree, but let's not, we don't have to waste all this time talking just about this. I mean, yeah. sure, it, it is seemingly the hot-button issue. It's the thing on everybody's mind. Uh, between that and the uh, the uh, the protests and, and, and worldwide uh, cries for restructuring police and, yep. and whatever you want to call that, however you want to speak to that, that's certainly not my place to say. Uh, but there's been a lot going on in the world and uh, it, it makes it hard to have just a little conversation about video games or yeah or, or movies or because it, it makes it feel like 
you know, we're talking about basically inconsequential shit. But at the same time, it's not just inconsequential because maybe, you know, someone's been beaten down so hardcore with everything that they've been dealing with that they need that little bit of escapism. And not having it is just kind yeah, of sure. impacting and, and, and causing a greater sense of loss, if that makes sense. And I know it's selling it a bit hard, but I mean, it's true. Some of the things that we do tend to dive into, like movies or music or or even trying new restaurants or anything, that, all, that stuff's all on hold, you know? So it's, we're not only dealing with unprecedented stress from outside factors due to, you know, racial unrest, people waking up to privilege, um, you know, the horrible things that are happening with, with um, um, you know, uh, black America that, that have been going on for centuries that are, are, you know, white people in many cases are just starting to wake up to, but that have been, you know, a burden on the backs of people of color for centuries. You know, all this, the normal things we'd escape into, we don't necessarily have. I mean, people are, they have Netflix to an extent they have video games, but I love to go to concerts. You know, I love to try new restaurants. I love to hang out with my friends. Those are my stress busters and the things that are not available. So I think the one-two punch of having this incredible social situation that's that's so enervating, um, but also really having a very limited number of, of things that you can seek respite in, that's just, it's, it's wearing on a lot of people in a big way and, and it's hard to discount. I agree. And, and and that's kind of why I decided to keep doing the podcast and keep moving with it as opposed yeah. to, you know, every, a lot of people have taken a break and, and, and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I've decided to keep pushing forward with this and with my writing and my music and yeah. I'm producing a short film. And that's why I choose to keep up with all of these things is because I need that bubble. I need that safety, that respite. Absolutely. Um, I got real lucky. You introduced me to uh, John Champion, which I thank you for. He's the that, greatest. He is the greatest. And, and, and I've been list. I, I took a deep dive into his podcast, Mission Log, and uh, I got caught up to where he is now uh, with Deep Space Nine, the few episodes since I started when I introduced myself to him to now. And then I took back, went right back to the beginning of Deep Space Nine. And so I've been following, I've been going sequentially through Deep Space Nine since that is my favorite track and, and really starting to just, I'm, I'm able to do this deep diving into Star Trek, which it relaxes me because I listen to it before work and I listen to it after work on the way home from work. And so it gives me that opportunity to just, just even just listening to it gives me the opportunity to dive into the things that called me. Which is nice, and and, and Homeboy's got a real calming demeanor. I, I I told him he could put me to sleep any day. I, I think he thought it was funny, but but he's a again. If if y'all have listened to the podcast and you listened to John Champion's episode, it was amazing. It was really cool talking to him. I I highly encourage everyone out there to check out Mission Log Pod on Facebook and, and check out the Mission Log podcast. If you're any kind of Star Trek fan, you're gonna love it. It's it's the kind of deep dive into an episode of Star Trek that gets you thinking, and which is what I really like. So, uh, I want yeah. To I mean, say. Star Trek has always been really at the forefront of of kind of tackling social issues. So when John started the podcast of uh, you know, let's really take a look at, at the the socio political economic whatever the you know uh, issues are that that any given episode of Star Trek deals with. You know, really break that down in terms of how it, how they explored it, how it ties to the time, how it still holds up now. I mean, they just, they know their stuff. And I, I just had a feeling he would really be 
a great guest for what for what you wanted to talk about on that episode. So I'm really glad that uh, that it came together as well as it did. I listened and it was it was really well done. And, and you guys, both of you, always do a great job. So it's nice to hear, you know, two two dudes that uh, both know what the hell they're doing about with this podcast thing. Just really get together and, and put their minds together on a, on a certain subject and, and get it done. Well, oh, I appreciate that. Now we're going to take ourselves a real quick break, and we come back. We'll just keep uh, keep talking about what's going on in our lives. So, well, uh, we'll be right back with you. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Alright, so we're back and... uh... So, yeah, like I said, we're just kind of weathering the storm as best we can. Uh, no need to sit and be all negative about everything. Like we said, water seeks its own level. We're going to find, I think, that we're going to have a lot of new creativity come out of this. Uh, I'm looking forward to the stories that this tells, the the media that this informs, and things like that. And, uh, we were talking a bit about your work from home options and how at least you're able to work from home. I and mean, that's, that's really good. I'm glad that you're able to keep safe, if not a little insane. Yeah, um, it is, it is a, a new way of doing business. I mean, I really haven't had a job I couldn't do uh, from home in about 20 years and the 30 second commute, the pants optional dress code is nice, but it is kind of a drag, not really having any place to go home to after work. So it's sort of six of one half a dozen of the other, but, you know, it is it is a nice thing that we're sort of finally getting away from this uh, this obsolete, um, you know, forty hours a week chained to a desk sort of a, uh, a mindset when it comes to work. And I think a lot of people's attitudes are changing about that, and it's probably about time. Yeah, I agree. And 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 unfortunately, in the retail sphere, I don't really get that option. But uh, we're fighting uh, as as a member of a band and and sure. figuring that part of it out. It's interesting to see how. Uh, venues and, and live performance has been morphing and changing and uh, they've even started having things like drive-in concert series and things like that a lot of streaming concerts and it's really interesting to see that kind of evolution yeah Isn't at this it? point I would do it though I think I, you know most of my 20s and 30s I spent every drop of disposable income I had going to, to concerts to seeing live music and and I, I definitely miss that 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 if I if I could bring if I could pick any one thing to kind of bring back that would be virus immune one social activity for myself it would be live music i really miss going to concerts and seeing bands and there's nothing like the experience of just letting the music wash over you and seeing you know a band you love just cranking it out on the stage in front of you it's, it's something i really it's missing from my my summer in a big way no i feel you on that and, and even more so than and i love going to shows i love watching shows yeah. but even more so being able to like we dropped an ep Mm-hmm. And my, my band announced the sentiment. We released an EP on, I want to say it was like a week before everything got shut down. And I'm sure you're looking forward to getting out there and playing those tunes in front of people and maybe pushing some merch, but then everything <laughs> just kind of went to hell in a handbasket as soon as you popped that thing into, into existence. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's been hard. Like we finally started being able to, to interact 
to each other again in person and, and actually yeah. practice and write new material and and so we got a couple of new songs we got coming together really quick and uh we actually get to they're doing like this open air kind of uh concert series like a three-day thing at a place in in town and uh the band that we get to open for we get to play that uh we get to open for green jello uh <laughs> which uh, I grew up listening to Green Jello. They were certainly a thing. I mean, who doesn't love Green Jello? I just saw them probably late last year, a couple towns over from me. And uh, Bill Manspeaker can still get it on. I mean, that guy's—he uh, puts on a hell of a show. I mean, it was he—he he was kind of doing that thing that he does that I found really interesting because he had about nine dudes on stage with him, and yeah, I yeah. sort of realized that his business model as a band is very interesting. And a lot of people may not know that, but uh, there are several hundred, if not upwards of a thousand members of Green Jello, Green Jelly, whatever you want to call it, around the country and around the world, uh, because he's, he franchises the band. He's actually got people in different cities who know the songs and who he can say a couple of weeks in advance, he can say, hey, I'm coming to, to Denver. Hey, I'm coming to Portland. Hey, I'm coming to Milwaukee. Hey, I'm coming to, to Boston. And then uh, the members of his band in that town will whoever wants to get together and rehearse the music will be his backing band when he comes to town so bill travels with a microphone and he just shows up and uh, whatever bunch of ragtag local miscreants he's got that that know how to play his shit that show up for the show that's that's green jello for the evening and i think that's kind of brilliant in a way everybody should really do that but uh yeah the guys that i saw play with them were, were, were a fun bunch of dudes and they put on a really raucous show and it was a good time and and uh you know it was it was just a really, really fun show. And I, I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. I'm looking forward to it. And we actually can't, we came up with merch. We got shirts being made right now and we got fantastic physical copies of the EP, which I didn't think we were even going to do, but <laughs> we've got those now. And uh, so it's going to be really interesting to get out there and flex again. And yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I, I I sing very aggressively. I sing very uh, heavily and uh, it's very cathartic for me and to not have a place to put that catharsis during this whole yeah. ordeal is that just... really just does go back to, you know, not only having to deal with, uh, you know, incredible racial unrest and in incredible racial injustice and, and having seen people we love and our friends that, that are having their moment in the sun in terms of, of um, you know, these things finally coming to a head in society and then the pandemic, but not having an outlet for that stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it really is. We talked about that a, a little while ago and it's just really tough. So I'm, I'm very glad that you actually are going to have that, that, that steam valve for yourself. Cause everybody, <laughs> needs, everybody needs that. Steam valve, spit valve, whatever, some kind of, <laughs> whatever you work. got. But uh, one of the other things, like I said, I've been focusing a lot of time on the podcast and trying to make the podcast what it is. And I send out an ungodly amount of just, random messages to people saying, Hey, uh, I like your work. Will you be on my show? Yeah. And, uh, I never get a call back, but I'm, I'm waiting. Cause one of these times I'm gonna, and it's going to be great. But <laughs> because I mean, I, I always envision this podcast as just me having an idea and an opportunity to sit down with the people that I know in my friend circle and sure. to, to wax nerdy about the things that we're into. But what I didn't anticipate was going into a pandemic Mm -hmm. having to conduct all of my interviews over the phone or over zoom or over Skype or things of that nature. 
and and they really hit me kind of hard. That's why I, I took like a two week break before I started in on it because I wanted to try and see what that was going to entail. And what I didn't anticipate was the fact that it's opened up so many more doors for me to be able to talk to people uh, over this kind of format. Like I can talk to people like John Champion down in, in LA, or I can talk to uh, my buddy Mark Rahner in, in LA or my buddy in Seattle, uh, Brandon in Seattle about comics and Twilight Zone and, and Star Trek and all these fantastic things. It's giving me such an opportunity to meet new people. Yeah, no doubt. I wouldn't otherwise have met. And, and it's been interesting because this is not <laughs> the format that I anticipated. This isn't what I wanted necessarily from the podcast, but I'm seeing it evolve into something that uh, is going to reach more people eventually. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is definitely, this pandemic has forced us all to be real resourceful. And uh, I think that's a good thing in a lot of ways. Um, it really has kind of backed us into a corner and, and, and forced us to examine our options. But you know, there's just definitely gold to be panned out of that, um, out of that hardship, I think. And, and I'm glad that you're discovering that there's, there's a bright side to this whole mess. One of the downsides is, is and I talked to you about this specifically, is uh, there's no place to spend money. <laughs> like normally, like you uh, say, normally I'd be going out to eat and yeah. trying restaurants or going to bars or playing shows or going to shows. That's, that's where all my money usually goes. And uh, so I've been funneling it into things like, and, and I can see them behind you in the picture here, but uh, we've been talking back and forth about uh, uh, retro video gaming. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're a big fan of that as I am. You bet. And the both of us have been bouncing. They've got these little tiny video games on keychains. Yeah. That are, they're just called Tiny Arcade. Yeah. And, uh, and they're made by a company called Super Impulse. And, and so I've been spending like the last three days, I've been trying to hunt a few of them down online um, because I'm trying to one-up you now at this <laughs> point. I'm trying try to catch up with you. So, But just spending but, money, you're right. There's nothing to spend money on. So I too have been just going nuts with those things with the, there's, there's, there's three different lines, one of which you introduced me to when you found that tiny uh, Mortal Kombat um, cabinet. Mm-hmm. I had been buying the Super Impulse tiny arcade ones, which are the smallest of the three. And then there's kind of, oh, they're all, they're they're all like miniature. two and a half inches tall or something like that. Yeah, they're like all that. miniature. They're all much, much smaller than the, the, the even like uh, arcade cabinets come in many sizes. I have a full size one. I don't have any of the arcade one-up ones that are like half size, the ones that come with the risers that... that I got um, one of those. Yeah, those are a couple hundred bucks. And then there's the... Um, one step down from that, there's these things called my arcade, which stand about, uh, you know, six or eight inches tall. And I've got a bunch of those. And then there's some other ones that are from a company called basic fun that I think are mostly sold at Walmart. And that's where the, they are. Uh, yeah, that's the, the one that, um, the mortal Kombat that I saw the fix it Felix. And I thought, Oh, those are neat. Saint has a couple of those. I'll, I'll see if I can find those. And then I went looking for those and realized, Oh, they have a whole line of those as well. So I picked up all those I could find. So there's about four or five different companies that make miniature or three-quarter scale or tiny, tiny arcade cabinets that are fully playable. Um, and I've, I've really gotten into collecting those things since, like you said, you know, we're all staying at home and there's nothing to spend money on. So I've, I, I'm kind of running out of room. I, I actually filled up the top of my full-size Midway arcade cabinet with a, an even smaller arcade in three different scale sizes. And uh, I just got Qbert and Tetris today. And then I think I have... The last three that are on the way are those three that you pointed out that are the, the new three tiny arcade ones. Uh, TMNT the, the, is one of the those. The pre-orders, yeah. Yeah, the pre-orders. I've got those, those three that are coming out uh, next month pre-orders. And then 
the My Arcade folks are coming out on July 20th with a, um, a six or eight inch tall uh, Space Invaders cabinet. So oh, that's, I, I don't have, yeah, I, I'm completely out of room to put those things on top of my Midway machine, but I'm going to have to come up with some alternative display and or storage solution because, you know, I, I, I don't have another square inch of space to put another tiny arcade cabinet on top of my full-size arcade cabinet. You don't need that TV back there. Get rid of that. <laughs> but the TV is how I play like the, uh, the Atari uh, classics on, on the Xbox and on the PS4 and and uh, at this point, I've got seven or eight different versions of Dig Dug that I've paid seven or eight different times for. So it's, it's out of control, but at least I acknowledge that. Well, one of the cool things is, is and, and like I said, I could talk about these things all day, but Tiny Arcade. Now, the reason, the way I discovered Mappy and Burger yeah. Time and uh, the TMNT cabinets, the new ones, yep. it's weird calling them a cabinet when it's two and a half inches tall. But <laughs> it is a keychain. <laughs> but it's funny. The way I discovered. I discovered that off of somebody's YouTube video from a toy convention in New York uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Before, while those were still a thing. And uh, one of the other ones that has me really, really curious that they had alongside it as an official piece. And I've seen artwork for it a couple of times. And so I, I'm relatively sure it's true. Uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah. I saw that in that video too, that you sent me, but when I went to go order the, uh, the, the pre-order on the tiny cabinet, it wasn't one of the ones that was available. So, And I can't find hiding a hair of yeah. it anywhere except for that pictures from that same area in Toy-Con. So. It seems a little odd that that would be one of the choices because, I mean, if there's, I think the newest game that has been miniaturized that I've seen is that TMNT side-scrolling beat-em-up. That's the newest one, and that was, what, late 80s? Every one of right. the games that's, uh, that's, that's been miniaturized that I've seen has been kind of sprite-based. I haven't seen any that are that are 3D at all. So I don't know how they're going to manage to squeeze Tomb Raider into a two and a half inch tall, tiny arcade cabinet, but I'm, I'm also I don't know. Eye out for that one. I don't know. And that's, what's got me curious because if it's something that can be done, I want to see it. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't see how it's playable on that scale. No. Um, even Especially if you did tiny little controls. Right. Exactly. But the thing is, is, is these little arcades are so playable as yes. they are. Like you were talking about, you got Tetris uh, that was one of the ones I sat down with the longest because I was trying to find out. I used to be really, really good at Tetris. I used to challenge my grandfather to it. My grandfather was more into it than I was. <laughs> uh, but we would sit back and and challenge each other to see who can get the highest level, who can get the highest score. And and uh, this, I, 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 I really kind of thought about, this can't be that playable. How playable can this be? I, I got to like level 13. Yeah, and when I, when I tell you it's like traditional Tetris, it really is nothing different than regular Tetris. I mean, Tetris uh, is one of the most easily portable uh, games that there is, but it I've seen people screw it up. So you know, like a lot of the, oh, uh, yeah. the console versions are they try and throw all kinds of bells and whistles into what's essentially already the perfect pick it up and play it game. But yeah, I've, I've got uh, two different tiny versions of Tetris behind me, and they're both completely serviceable, and they they definitely scratch that itch. They are Tetris, and every Every way that you want Tetris to be Tetris. Yeah, and then before we got to talk, and I was playing the pole position one. I don't know if you played that one around. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's fun. It's it fun. I'm really good at it, but I have a dent in my thumb now from where I was mashing <laughs> that. <laughs> what I think is really fun about the pole position one in particular is I remember being super impressed in what was it, 1981 or 1982, that that was one of the first games. That one and Sinistar were the first games that had digitized speech in the games when the uh, – the announcer uh -huh. just prepare to qualify. 
And I just thought, as impressed as I was in 1981 or two, when that came out of the cabinets of the, uh, the speaker, um, cabinets of the, of the arcade machine, uh, to see it sitting in the palm of my hand and have that come out of there too. It's that same sort of feeling all over again. So that nostalgia, it's, 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 it's next to impossible to put a price tag on. Although apparently <laughs> 1995 is about right. <laughs> I was going to say, they've, they've done put a price tag on that already. So we're going to take another quick short break and uh, we come back, we're going to wrap kind of things up with uh, Jim Schweitzer. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, that's the, uh, the sound yeah. you're hearing is the sound from that mini Tetris cabinet. And uh, yeah, as we were saying, it's super playable, but uh, uh, we're back and one of the things I wanted to kind of touch base with you, and, and I don't know if I even mentioned it before uh, when we talked previously, but uh, a lot of people don't know uh, how we met. And, and I talked with uh, one of our buddies, Matt, a few weeks ago, and uh, this we met the same way. And, and mm-hmm. for those of y'all who don't know, uh, I was a part of uh, an internet watchdog group called Perverted Justice. And uh, Jim also was part of that same watchdog group uh, where basically we went out and, and hit the chat rooms looking for people trying to pick up little kids. And we were those little kids and introduced them to uh, Chris Hansen from uh, Dateline NBC. So yeah, that was fun. You know, I, I always tell people I was never a 13 year old girl, but I literally played one on TV. So uh, yeah, being able to uh, to play a role and, and to get into those chat rooms and be a human meat shield that got in the way of uh, people trying to pick up kids. Uh, <laughs> I, we, we, you and I did that for about five years, I think it was. Um, right know. around there, yeah. Yeah, and it was an interesting uh, interesting five years. I had to keep a Brillo pad in the shower because um, you know a lot of the uh, being a little a fully, bleach for your eyes. Yeah, be, being a, a, a well-adjusted adult who could sort of handle you know, disgusting things being said by people who are trying to make inappropriate advances on children. Um, you know, it's, it still was hard to deal with sometimes, but uh, better me than, than an actual kid. And that was one of the yeah. things I tried to get across to people, um, you know, and they would say, well, you know, how, how, how big of a problem is it? And any one of us that you would ask that to say, well, we would create a fake profile and go into a chat room and within five or 10 minutes, you know, somebody yeah. would be chatting us up and, it was not even some of the time or half the time. It was 100% of the time. So that yeah. hopefully put a button on 
kind of what a big problem it was and what we were trying to accomplish, I hope. And that what was really cool about that is, is uh, not only were we getting to help people, but we're getting to watch some kind of, it's, it almost started off like a grassroots campaign. Yeah. And, and we ended up becoming inadvertently part of pop culture because if you have anyone in pop, if you have anyone in, in, in your friend circle, you ask them who perverted justice is, they wouldn't be able to say, no. Oh, I know them. Uh, but if you ask anyone to, Hey, come have a seat, you know, in that specific <laughs> tone of voice, Why they're going to know who you're talking there? about. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Chris if you Hansen talk about that, Chris yeah. Hansen. Mm-hmm. It, was, or, it was a national yeah. catch there for a little while. And, you know, I watching things like, uh, I would watch like family guy and you yeah. would see a, a reference to it on family guy. Oh yeah. And it's just like, Oh shit. That's, that's, that's us. <laughs> we did that. <laughs> we did that. And every once in a while, it's, I still see references to it. There are people that still have uh, YouTube channels where they, they comb through the old episodes and pull out their favorite bits of uh, predator humiliation. And, and it's uh yeah, it was an interesting thing to be a part of for sure. It was. And, I, and, and, that's how I met you, and, and you had the, the moniker of Beef the Troll, and so you'll always be beefy to me uh, <laughs> in more ways than one big guy. But uh, Hey, it's, you know, uh, I've been called way worse, so it's, it's a nice thing to be remembered as. <laughs> you did a lot of uh, Renfair as well, correct? Renfair and SCA type things? And... Yeah, that's kind of where the name came from, is that uh, here near the Wisconsin-Illinois border, there are two events that in a normal pre-COVID time happen in the summer and fall of every year, one of which is the Renaissance Fair, which happens in Bristol, Wisconsin, right on the state line. Actually, it, the state line runs right through the uh, the Renaissance Fair Park. Um, and then there was a thing called Fright Fest that was a separate uh, production, but that involved about 80% of the same people that happened at the Six Flags Park in Gurney, Illinois, which is about 45 minutes north of Chicago, um, almost equidistant to the border on the other side of the border. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a, uh, a Halloween show where, you know, actors and performers would dress up in monster costumes and, and work as performers in the park for the month of October during their weekend openings. So it was uh, most of the same people that worked weekends all through summer as well as weekends all through October to put on uh, a couple of shows for, for the folks of the state line area. And so yeah, Beast Patrol was actually my character at Fright Fest, and that's where I, I got the name from when I came to Perverted Justice in, I think, 2001. Nice. And so uh, for anyone wondering, he would put on copious amounts of makeup and, and a big mask. appliances. Mm-hmm. And you look very much like a bridge troll, I want to say. Um, yeah, I, I drank myself in chains and leather and fur and, that would, and, and punk spikes like you would buy at Hot Topic at the time. And, and uh, that was kind of the, we, we made our own costumes. And, um, you know, the effect uh, was somewhat kind of, we got a lot of grief from people when the Lord of the Rings movies started coming out because they thought we were orcs, but uh, we actually <laughs> predated them, at least in terms of look. Obviously, we weren't old enough to predate Tolkien, but, uh, you know, we, we put our costumes together ourselves, and, and so people, they had different opinions about us, but uh, it, was, it was, again, one of those things that really helped me uh, to, to be cathartic and blow off steam because I got to scare people for a living there for one month out of the year for about 12 or 13 years in a row. Yeah, and I only ever had one experience with scaring people for a living, and it's quite different. I ended up working as a role player uh, for the military at one point or uh-huh. another. Uh, and it was one of those jobs that you just fall into. You know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Right. Yeah, I didn't know And uh, so they would bring us out to the military base, 
um, and they would you know, dress us up like prisoners or dress us up like uh, insurgents or you know insert group of bad people here <laughs> sure. um, and then turn us loose against the military and and I love the fact of the matter is is like when they brought us in for the first briefing that I ever went to that the commander came in front of us and there's like 50 of us or whatever and he comes in and he goes okay your job is to break them because if you break them here we can fix them but if yeah. they break over there it's harder mm-hmm. and they said the only word you can't say is the c word anything uh-huh. other than that well or not it wasn't even the c word no we could say the c word it was the n word obviously well, that we could well, yeah you, you, but, you hate uh, to think that that's one of those things that should go without saying that nobody can say you know but yeah there's a lot of good old boys it's, it's, it's america so you know we got to deal with but, it. So there was one specific, I mean, and this is a job where one of my prerequisites for learning this job was to how to field strip an AK-47. Wow. Uh, that, that was an on-the-job skill that I had to learn. And uh, so they would put us, they had these uh, camps. And I don't think saying any of this is going to violate any kind of uh, non-disclosure <laughs> agreements or anything like that. But I will keep it nice and vague. There was these camps where they were set up like a prison camp where you were to um, pretend you were a prisoner. Mm-hmm. And they go on three-day cycles. First day's easy, second day's ramped up, third day's all hell break loose. And so what they're trying to do is drill through these soldiers who are going over to man prisons in these places that we will not name. Mm-hmm. And, and our job is to break them to see if we can get OPSEC violations out of them, operational security violations, where they give you their name or they give you information that you shouldn't have or, you know, get physical with them on a day three. So uh, wow. it was a very interesting job. And, and I was really rewarded one day when I got there and they do roll call. It was like a day three and uh, it's roll call and the commander's doing roll call and he gets to my name and he smiles after he i say here he smiles and as i'm walking into the 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 prison the cell block that i'm going to be in for the day he looks at me and he goes saint i'm glad to see you here today and i'm like oh why is that uh, commander why is that and he goes well let me tell you your cell is directly on the opposite wall of my office (laughs) i get a lot of wrong number phone calls all day and last time there was this one woman who just kept calling back and kept calling back and kept calling back and just would not be convinced that she had the wrong number. He said, until the last time I picked up the phone with that woman and before I could get word one out of my mouth, all she could hear from the other side of that wall was how you're going to tear off this poor motherfucker's head, shit down his neck, <laughs> eat his lunch, and have your way with his spouse. Oh my and goodness. I gotta tell you, it felt good. That felt good. <laughs> and, uh, and so, well, uh, Commander, I do my best. And and like you say, it's, it's a huge catharsis, that kind of a job, because when everything yeah. is on the table, mm-hmm. or not off the table, nothing's off the table, you can vent to such an alarming degree yeah like you could go in heavy with the weight of the world come out of a 12-hour shift to doing that just yelling your guts out at people you feel a little bad for them if you get them but 
That's your job. It's, it's cathartic. It's venting. It's yeah. you leave light as a feather. It was the th- same thing at the park. We'd have people saying, "Oh, don't scare me! Don't scare me!" Or you know, saying, "Oh, don't scare my girlfriend! Or, don't scare my kid!" Well, those are the people you just wanted to hammer even harder than anybody you'd hammered all day long. Because they you know, need a good scare. Well, yeah, and as they told us that uh, we we had um, um, Creature Crew University where we learned to scare people and, and what was appropriate and what wasn't and how far we could go <clears throat> about you know provoking a fight or flight response with people. And they said, you know what? The roller coasters are there all summer long. They're going to be there forever. People come here to be scared. And whether they want to be scared or not, you know, occasionally the, the, our, our instructors actually um, contextualized it like a BDSM relationship. They said, well, you might not know what their safe word is. And they may be cowering in fear, but that's what they come here for. They come here to be scared. And mm-hmm. if somebody, you know, wants to laugh and shake your hand and take your picture, that's the reaction they've chosen. But if they're going to piss their pants and shrink away into a corner and scream, that's why they go to the movies. Only this is real and it's in their face. So don't let up on those people. You know, sometimes you might get yeah. swung at, but uh, that's, that's why uh, <laughs> you have security and those people will get tossed out. You, you have a line you're allowed to go up to and but not to cross, but that's a, it's, it's a really far line. So we, we, we had a good time. We had a really good time entertaining people to within an inch of their lives. They would say. <laughs> yeah. We got swung on a few times too, but most of the times it was either with a riot shield or with a bottle of uh camp down pepper spray. So but, uh, yes. <laughs> I get wistful thinking about it all of a sudden. I kind of want to do it again, but yeah, I miss it. I mean, I did it for 12 years, at least, I think it was 12, 12 or 13 seasons. And it was, yeah, you miss it. You do miss it. Once it's not a part of your life anymore, you get used to that, uh, that, that feeling like, you know, you sing on stage and I'm a drummer. I, when I'm playing with the band, I'm, I'm definitely pounding out my issues. And, you know, with all that stuff taken away with, with more issues to deal with and fewer ways to deal with them, we're all sort of like climbing the walls a little bit, you know, but, uh, this too shall pass. I have a feeling. Yeah. And, and again, like, what is it? The, the old saying goes like a kidney stone, but it will pass. <laughs> I've had those too. And they're quite a bit less fun, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it all goes it, away eventually. It could be considerably worse. And again, this is me speaking from my place of privilege, but I've got a roof over my head. I've got food in my mouth. I got mm-hmm. my kids. I got my wife. I've got my friends that I can connect with over the phone or over zoom or however we do it i've got the ability to stay creative yep which is nice and you know amazon brings me all the dumb little toys that i need when i need them yeah all that in the bag of chips i'm in the same boat with you so I'm, i'm trying to use my position of privilege to shut my mouth open my ears learn how to be a better ally learn how to leverage my influence to make the world a better place for people that may not enjoy the same privileges i do and and just trying every day to be better than I was yesterday. I'm not always successful at it, but you know, the world we live in now, it's, it really is everybody's responsibility to try and make things better for their fellow man, whether that's going to a, a protest to demonstrate, you know, um, police brutality and, and the outright murder of, of people of color, or whether that's wearing a mask to the grocery store. Everybody's got their, their, their road to hoe now in, in, in 2020 to try and just make things a little bit easier for their fellow human beings. And it's, you know, I just think it's, it's all of our responsibilities to, to try and do that in every way we can every day of our lives in, in, in any way that we possibly can make it better. Agreed. And, and like you say, it's, it's time to, uh, to sit and figure out uh, how best to affect that change in the position that you're in. I yep. mean, cause a lot of the times it's not our fight. It's not our place to get involved. We get involved when they ask for it. We get involved where we can, yep. but we don't want to, we don't want to stifle the message. We don't want to overshadow the message. So, uh, yeah. I know I can say unequivocally 
And I will say unequivocally, and I've said it before, uh, I support the Black Lives Matter movement. 100%. I just 100% support it. I, and if you don't, uh, I'd like you to show your work because honestly, yeah. it, your math is wrong. Yep, trying to find ways to um, work within it, given the privilege that you have to, to dismantle some of these longstanding and deep-seated systems while not centering your own experience or making it about you and still making sure to create space for people that have been marginalized. It's, it's a negotiation, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing we're all figuring out. But, you know, yeah, you do. You're, you're right. You got to show your work. You got to be, you're either on the right side of history or you're not. And um, right. that's what it really boils down to for, for, for me and for a lot of people. And I've been trying to spread that message as well. And, and I've lost some people along the way. And, and, and well, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It does hurt. I mean, it does. But growth hurts. Yeah. And I want all of you out there, if you're listening to this, just to understand that uh, if you're feeling the pain, it's working. Yeah. You know, there is no growth yep. from complacency. There's no growth from comfort. So I know we're going wildly all over the board with topics and, and things <laughs> like that. But, but it's an organic it's kind of, conversation. It's, yeah. And that's exactly kind of what I wanted with this is I yeah. wanted to have this ability to just kind of clear the air and, and talk about the things that are going on. So uh, did you have anything else you wanted to kind of cover or what, what anything new going on in you? Um, you know, not really. Uh, things are just um, kind of in a holding pattern, you know, personally. And I'm just really hoping, I'm looking forward to uh, to the next couple of months being over. I don't think, you know, growing up in cold climates and really prizing warm weather as I do, I, I don't think I've ever looked forward to a November more, particularly that first Tuesday. Because um, <clears throat> I really think that most of what's happening now with Black Lives Matter and most of the protests and most of, of, of people talking about really putting reforms through on a lot of the longstanding things that need it, if there is a silver lining to this dumpster fire of an administration, I think that's it. Because four years ago, you know, Trump made it okay. He, he lifted the log and, and gave all the, the racists and the bigots and the xenophobes and the homophobes and the transphobes, you know, brought them out into the sunlight and said, you know, your hatred is, is good and, and even patriotic. And I think a lot of what's happening now with a, with a lot of the, the unrest would probably not be happening. It would still be at a simmer instead of a boil if we were maintaining the status quo. But I think if there's anything good that comes out of this administration, it's that it's been so over the top filled with hate that people have finally reached their limit with it. And we're finally starting to put through a lot of these discussions and hopefully a lot of these reforms um, that have been overdue for a very long time. If there's anything good that comes out of it, that's it. Bringing it all to the forefront, finally. I have never heard anyone silver lining all this bullshit so well. (laughs) <laughs> and I appreciate that because it does get easy to get mired down in all the in, in, in all the minutia and all the pain and all the agony and all the you know oh what the what the hell is this month going to bring what's next month going to bring I think at the know? end of this it will all have been for something at the very least it has know? to be yeah it has it, to be it has to have been in service of societal progress and I mean to, you know last thing I you know again this is wildly off topic but I was very encouraged today as we're recording this the Supreme Court has made several key decisions, um, particularly when it comes to Trump's taxes that are very interesting. They did deny the taxes to the federal subcommittees that were looking for them um, in order to prosecute certain crimes because they're kind of cleaving to the idea of the corrupt William Barr Justice Department that the president can't be prosecuted for federal crimes as long as he or she is sitting in the Oval Office. But they did not extend that protection to the state level. So the, federal, the state prosecutors in the Southern District of New York that have been looking for those, those uh, tax records for a long time will be able to have access to those. So after you know, years and years of fighting, 
we're going to get a peek at Trump's finances. And that's significant, not just for what it represents on the surface, but also because I've been very surprised by John Roberts, who has kind of become in the last couple of months the swing vote on the Supreme Court. He was a conservative appointee. George W. Bush appointed him, but he ruled on the right side of history with the California sanctuary case for the churches that tried to bar people from wearing masks. Um, they, they, they ruled that the separation of church and state did not extend so far as to say that state laws don't apply in your church. He also, along with Neil Gorsuch, which surprised me, was a swing vote when it came to saying that the Equal Protection Clause extended to employment and LGBTQ people, which is amazing and fantastic. And then just today, he was one of the seven two majority that voted in favor of letting the SDNY uh, get a hold of Trump's taxes. So that's significant, not just for what they represent, but also for, I think, John Roberts sending a very clear message to Trump and saying, hey, if this comes down to a 2000-style Florida hanging Chad's recount, we don't have your back. You're not going to be able to count on the Supreme Court to save your ass if this doesn't go your way in November. So get your fucking affairs in order. So that's, that's very encouraging to me. Like I said, you silver lining this just perfect for me because <laughs> I got to look forward to something, man. Got to have something to look forward to. But uh, Jim, I want to thank you for uh, coming on with me. It was kind of last minute, hey, but uh, it's, do, al- it's always wonderful to sit down and have a conversation with you. And uh, right back at you, I got, I got an idea about doing like little segmented reviews of arcades and retro games and things like that. And I think that's something me and you were going to have to chew the crap about, about a I'd bit love more. It. And love it. That'd be great. So I got uh, your Jim, back, I want to thank, <laughs> thank you for coming on and I want to thank everybody out there for listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fan and podcast. Again, if you're looking for us on anchor FM, you can find us at anchor.fm forward slash fuel your fandom. You can find us on Instagram at fuel underscore your or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. But I want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart. And as we always like to remember and remind everybody at the end of every episode, just remember that uh, everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.